God of the Exiles, when we find ourselves in strange times, in strange lands, remember us, help us to sing your songs. Amen. Amen. Be seated. There's an old spiritual that comes from Psalm 137, and I think the words and the music set the tone really well for today's reading from Jeremiah. I'm sure you know it. It goes like this. By the waters of Babylon, where we sat down, and there we wept, when we remembered Zion. Will you sing it with me? By the waters of Babylon, where we sat from Jeremiah, and he's a character that the rabbis call the weeping prophet, the weeping prophet. How would you like those words on your tombstone, the weeping prophet? Well, we've been reading Jeremiah for weeks now, and I've noticed that none of my colleagues have chosen to preach from the book of the prophet Jeremiah. In fairness, I didn't either. It's been a while since I've been in the pulpit, and Jeremiah was going on back then, and I didn't preach. Jeremiah is difficult. So I want to spend a little bit of time with Jeremiah today. This is the last Sunday in the cycle of readings for the prophet. And I don't want to let go of Jeremiah without comment. I think Jeremiah will help us as well to make some sense of this gospel reading we have from Luke, uh, Jesus' Pharisee and repentant tax collector. We'll get back there. But, But for now, let's focus on the Hebrew Bible prophet. Jeremiah is the prophet of the exile. In the 6th century BCE, the people of Israel were taken by force from their holy land and brought down to those waters of Babylon. And Jeremiah is the prophet who has to tell the people about the terms of their exile. And his job is made harder because throughout the book of Jeremiah, there are these false prophets who are giving contrary words. Uh, False prophets make it important that we understand what prophecy is and what it is not. Often, I think we associate prophecy with fortune-telling. We imagine prophets were folks who could tell the future. But a biblical prophet, a true biblical prophet, is not a fortune-teller. That's not what the Bible means by prophecy. The prophetic gift isn't the power to see the future. It's about the power to see the present. A prophetic leader can take an honest look at the times at hand. And prophecy is not about prognostication. Prophecy isn't about guessing the future correctly. If it's really a prophetic word, it's a word about today. Because a prophetic word tells the truth about today in a way that can make a difference for tomorrow. Stated a different way, prophecy is the gift to get a better tomorrow by telling the truth today. And so Jeremiah's competitors, the false prophets, they tend to tell folks what they want to hear about the future. 
At first, these prophets say, don't worry, Babylon isn't coming, and even if they do, your neighbor Egypt will save you. Then once the city is surrounded by the forces of Babylon, and the people know that they're going to be removed, the false prophets say, it won't be that bad. Yes, you'll be carted away, but the exile won't last very long. In today's reading, you might have noticed we skipped several verses. In those verses that we jumped, false prophets are telling the people not to worry about the drought that is coming, what they're praying about, and why they're talking about the false gods who can't send rain. These false prophets are saying, don't worry about it. The suffering that will be visited upon you, it won't be that bad. But Jeremiah is God's prophet, and real prophets tell the truth. Jeremiah can't bring false hope. Jeremiah's prophetic gift is to see things as they are, to name the reality of the situation. At one point in the story, the leaders of Jerusalem are so upset with Jeremiah, they toss him an abandoned well. The prophet's sinking in the muck and pleading with his neighbors not to let him die. We learn God's words, they don't tend to come from the top. They don't tend to come from the powerful. God's words aren't often popular. It's one of the difficult truths of the Bible. God tends to speak through those who get stuck in the muck. God spoke through Abraham an immigrant. God spoke through Joseph, the rainbow-wearing kid whose siblings sold him into slavery. God spoke through Moses, the revolutionary fleeing charges of murder. God spoke through Ruth, the Moabitess, an ethnic outsider. God chose a little shepherd boy, the youngest son, to slay a giant and become king. God's own son, we learn, had no place to lay his head and spent his time with tax collectors, sinners, women of ill repute. Prophetic words don't tend to come down from the top. God's messengers speak up from below. Prophetic words are directed up from the bottom, up toward the powerful, up toward the folks who, for the sake of their own comfort, have insulated themselves from the world around them. Prophetic words tell the story of how things really are to those who need to relearn to listen. This week, our nation buried a congressman, Elijah Cummings. And I was struck as the news reports came out about how often folks talked about Elijah's prophetic voice. He was the son of sharecroppers. His family had to leave South Carolina so that he and his siblings could enroll in Baltimore's desegregated schools. And Cummings' voice was prophetic in that his voice was a voice that rose up from the bottom of society's ladders. And he didn't forget from where he came. As he rose in the halls of power, he had a voice that often spoke clearly about the realities of our day. He was remembered for his kindness across the political aisle, yes, but also to his, for his uncompromising commitment to folks who were suffering to the people most deeply affected by cuts to programs like Medicaid and food stamps. He called Congress to account with grace, with a sense of humor, with a deep biblical voice, but most critically with an unwavering sense of justice. In as much as he stayed connected to his roots, 
to the voices of those who were suffering, to the voices of those who are the most vulnerable, he brought a prophetic gift to his work as a people's representative. Prophets don't simply guess the future. Prophets tell God's difficult truth about the present. And difficult truths are hard to hear. Laments like the one we encounter in Jeremiah today, they feature throughout the length of the book. It's probably why none of us have preached on it till now. Today, the people cry out. The difficult news is their cries come too late. The people will be captured. They'll find themselves out by the rivers of Babylon, wandering in a strange land, living through strange and difficult times. The people will know exile. So what do the people do with strange times? What do the people do in strange lands? What do God's people do with exile? In one of the most courageous chapters of his book, the prophet Jeremiah tells the people to put down roots. In the psalm I quoted and sung at the beginning of the service, the people ask, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And Jeremiah gives us one of the most challenging lines, I think, in all of scripture in response. Promote the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because your future depends on its welfare. And Jeremiah's words actually read, promote the shalom of the city, for in its shalom you will find your shalom. I use the Hebrew because shalom is not a shallow sense of peace. It's not a simple lack of conflict. Shalom is a deep peace. It's the very peace of God. Seeking God's peace takes time, takes patience. Seeking God's peace means planting gardens, planning feasts for produce that has not yet come to bud. Shalom is slow, patient work. Shalom requires investment in the here and now to knowing the injustice of the day so that they may not be the injustices of tomorrow. Shalom requires truth-telling, difficult truth-telling. God's peace requires a commitment to the times in which we find ourselves. It's not a get-out-of-jail-quick card with Jeremiah. We've got to commit. And finding God's peace be means becoming acquainted with the present. Building up God's shalom invites an unflinching commitment to seeking out the voices of the vulnerable. Finding God's peace means looking around your office, around your neighborhood, and seeking out the most vulnerable voices. It means listening to those who are most at risk in any decision. Without the voices of those who are prone to suffering, we can't have a truthful accounting of our present times. This is why Jeremiah is such an important companion for today's gospel story. It makes you ask questions of context. And see, Luke tells us that Jesus' story is directed to those who were convinced they were righteous and who looked on others with disgust. Those who were convinced they were righteous and who looked on others with disgust. That disgust, that contempt, it's key to understanding Jesus' story. 
the parabolic Pharisee and Jesus' hearers, they've cut themselves off from their supposedly lesser neighbors. And so they have cut themselves off from hearing the whole truth. And Jesus' Pharisee, he, he can't hear over his own self-congratulation the penitent words of the tax collector he has prejudged. This guy has believed his own press. These are folks who have disgust for their neighbors. They've confided in their own strength, to quote Martin Luther's hymn. In Jesus' story, the powerful have deceived themselves. They can't hear the truth. I need to take a pause for a moment to say we have to be careful with stories like today's gospel for a one particular word. Uh, the priest and preacher Barbara Brown Taylor spoke with Terry Gross this year on NPR's Fresh Air about how she used to casually use the term Pharisee the way it has been used for centuries as shorthand for folks who take religion too legalistically. And Taylor said she learned from a Jewish reader that her easy use of the term ignored centuries of anti-Semitism, how the word was filled with contempt. Often the church needed, often the church still needs a prophetic word. Even a great preacher like Barbara Brown Taylor needs to be taught how words from the past can bring real pain in the present. Today is Reformation Sunday. Might be the first time some of you have ever celebrated Reformation Sunday. This week we celebrate Martin Luther's ongoing protests. I know a lot of Episcopalians who identify as Catholic light, as the late Robin Williams once called our denomination. And I want to say that it's okay to celebrate our Protestant Episcopal identity. The word is right there in the official incorporated name of the church. We are the Protestant Episcopal Church. And I like that word because it reminds us that the church still needs our protest. The church, God bless it, still needs to hear prophetic words. The church writ large is still in need of reform. Many of you know that our need for reform in the church in your own stories. It's why you found your way here to Holy Communion. And so may I say today, may the Reformation continue. We often don't enjoy prophetic moments. We don't love to hear prophetic voices. Prophets like Jeremiah often must weep their way through the message they bring. But without prophets, who will tell the truth? Who will point out that the emperor has no clothes? Who will bring reality to light? In recent days, I find myself returning to a word that the Reverend Dr. Starsky Wilson brought to us right here in this room in August. Our assistant rector, Lori Anzalotti, quoted him a few weeks ago in this pulpit. Dr. Wilson reminded us that St. Louis is America's most philanthropic city. We're the most philanthropic city in the whole country. And yet, St. Louis remains one of the most segregated cities in America. This is a difficult truth. I've been chewing on it since Starsky brought it up, since Lori brought it up again. Our laudable generosity is not ending and in some ways is reinforcing our, stru our structural inequity. I've had conversations with a number of folks at Holy Communion for whom Dr. Wilson's forum and Lori's sermon have caused them to question 
where they're donating their money. Folks are asking, am I supporting organizations that are working to dismantle structural inequity? That wrestling, that question is behind the bold asks your vestry and stewardship committee are putting to the congregation in this season of giving. We're asking you to step out with us. We're asking you to help us grow our capacity to tell difficult truths, to build God's shalom in this city. We're asking you to prioritize the work we're doing in this congregation in your giving because we believe it's transformational. Prophetic work can be individual work. That's hard work when you're called to tell God's difficult truth in a system that doesn't want to hear it. And prophetic work can also come in the midst of scrappy little communities. Prophetic work can sometimes even be shared. Prophetic words tell the truth in difficult moments. But one word is always prophetic. One word is always true of the here and now. God is always with us. Always. Even in the strange lands, even by the waters of Babylon, even in the roughest times. God is with us when we feel farthest from home. God is with us and God asks us to be faithful, to put down roots, to build homes, to build relationships with our neighbors. God is looking for prophets, for folks willing to listen to the voices coming up from the bottom. God is looking for folks willing to tell difficult truths, God is looking for folks willing to stand together and to sing the Lord's song. Here at Holy Communion, we will pray for this city. We will promote its welfare. We will work for justice, for truth, for God's shalom. Even here, even now. God is the God of those who wander in strange times, who wander in strange lands. God is the God of the exiles. And we will sing the Lord's songs in this strange land until this land does not seem so strange anymore. Amen.